This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I'm going to talk about the weird scoring in the co-main event from UFC 251 with my big takeaway. All the way from Fight Island, Laura Senko joins us to have a conversation about scoring in MMA and a whole lot more from that huge event and what should be and what could be next for Jorge Masvidal following his loss to Kamaru Usman at UFC 251. We'll get to that as well. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays right here at 1 p.m. East Coast time on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right. Happy, happy Monday to you. Man, what a crazy weekend, huh? Three title fights. We spent a lot of time talking about them. I would say that the Aldo and Jan fight lived up to the hype. And I enjoyed the co-main event, but the controversy afterwards is kind of unfortunate. Not that I don't understand it, but I mean, I always prefer scenarios where we're talking about fights and we're able to focus on what the fighters did rather than what the judges did or didn't do. And then in that main event, you get a little bit of that, right? You get a scenario where you're talking about what the fighters did or didn't do. But, you know, I'm not sure. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But I'm just not convinced that you're going to always get a good fight between Masvidal and Usman. Like, I kind of feel like, yeah, could it have been better than it was? Seems reasonable to conclude. Um, was that the best version of what we could have gotten? I don't know that that's true, but could it, you know, if they fought a hundred times, would all 99 times be better than this one? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that they're kind of a bad matchup for each other. And that's just sort of what you're going to get. Although I don't know that. Uh, then it takes us to our co-main, which I'll do a little bit more discussion of here. You know, what kind of bugs me about it. The scoring is obviously something we're going to have to focus on, but I'll tell you the thing that I kind of get kind of gets lost here. And I understand that everyone is focusing their attention on Max, and I'm not even saying that's wrong. You should. But it is kind of sad to me that because of the scoring controversy and because of the nature of how things played out, people are losing sight of the fact that, man, you know, Volkanovski made some pretty nice adjustments in that fight. And I know that's not the story of the fight. I get it. I completely understand. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this fight, believe me, which is why I kind of want to say up front, man, you know, Volkanovski's a tough customer. Now, Max completely shocked me with how well he performed. You know, you guys know I was high on Volkanovski, and I guess, you know, technically right that Volkanovski would win, but I did not think it was going to look like that. Max really, to me, proved a point quite candidly. How did you score the co-main event? What should the UFC do about it? Should they give a third fight right away? Should they figure out a new judge? Do you think they should do away with the scoring criteria? What is your what is the best way to fix what happened in the co-main event of UFC 251? Or maybe you think nothing is to be done because you like the results 877 fight 93 877 344 with that in mind it's time now for my big takeaway do we not have the imaging oh. 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 another fight card 
card is in the books and another group of fighters have made their mark on the sport. You want to talk about a kid rising to the occasion? Luke Thomas has examined the fights, studied the film, listened to the interviews, and made his decision the biggest lesson he learned over the weekend. Fights like that are the reason we watch MMA. This is the big takeaway on the Luke Thomas Show. All right, time now for the big takeaway from UFC 251. I could have made it about the main event, but I wanted to make it about the co-main because I just feel like we have to have this conversation. We have to understand what's happening here. Here is my big takeaway. I don't know if my idea in terms of how to fix it is the one that should be adopted. You can fade out the music, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Here's what I mean. What we have now as a scoring system, it's better than what it was, say, you know, several years ago. Uh, you even saw that when they, we used an old system in the fight between John Jones and Dominic Reyes where they counted forward pressure in ways that they shouldn't have. I mean, they, it was, that was right according to how Texas judges fights. But, I mean, you could see why scoring criteria has moved beyond that because that is just woefully insufficient as a way to judge modern fights. But I'm going to go beyond that, and I'm going to say the following. I don't think a scorecard for Volkanovsky is crazy. Now, that doesn't mean that I agree. I had it three rounds to two for Max. But I can sort of squint and understand how you could give a, a scorecard, three, four, and five, to Volkanovsky. In fact, if you look at the nu- numeric totals, which are not qualitative totals, he outstruck Max in the final three rounds. In fact, it was kind of interesting. I went back and I watched the fight on the broadcast. They had it as Max having more total strikes landed, 25 to 22, but that's not really correct. In fact, if you look uh, at the striking totals for round three in the rematch with Alexander Volkanovsky, it actually goes like this, uh, to be clear. In the third round, Volkanovsky landed 25 of 52 significant strikes, So total, he landed, I'm trying to see what was the total number of strikes he landed in round three. He landed 27 of 54. Max landed 15 significant strikes and only 18 total. In round four, which is not the one in dispute, it was 34 to 24 significant strikes in favor of Volkanovski, 34 to 27 in favor of Volkanovski for total strikes. And then round five, significant 37 to 23 in favor of Alexander, 37 to 26 in favor of Alexander in the fifth. Although what's kind of funny is one of the judges gave the fifth round to Holloway and then the third to Volkanovsky. But okay, neither here nor there for just the moment. This is my point about all of this. I don't think that that's crazy. But what I think what this shows is that the 10-point must system doesn't give us the latitude required to give the award to the right fighter often enough. I don't think the 10-point must system is in every case bad, but here's what I am trying to tell folks. If you think that you can fix this problem by just plugging in new judges, yes, there are better judges than other ones, but we're going to end up right back here again because a bad system makes good judges ineffective. And a bad system makes bad judges even worse and that is where we are we keep thinking that the way to fix this problem is just to add more specificity to 
the criteria. And I don't know that that's wrong. My hunch is that it's not right, which I'll get to in a second, but I don't know that that's wrong. In other words, should there be a rule that if you get knocked down, it's an automatic 10-8 or that you automatically lose a point so that, you know, if it was going to be a draw before that, now it's a 10-9 or something like that. I mean, in other words, being more than just, hey, you lost the round, you, you would have to lose the round decisively at that point. Should that be something that we entertain? I don't think that that's the right answer, but here's what I know. Just doing what we've been doing is a path to nowhere. I actually interviewed Jeff Blatnick years ago. Um, Jeff Blatnick, credentialed wrestler, uh, MMA uh, pioneer, um, commentator, just an all-around credit to the combat sports world. I asked him, you know, should we look at a scoring criteria where we assign numerical value to certain techniques? So, for example, a takedown is four points. A punch from a jab is two points. A cross is a three points. Uppercut is four points or whatever. And he said no. And it sounds kind of obvious why you, want, why you might want to say no, but his answer, I think, is really important to consider. Namely, he believed that if you started adding numerical value to different techniques, it would destroy MMA because people would end up fighting to the points value and it would, you would diminish the creative potential that you, that you currently enjoy with MMA. They would just fight down to whatever the numerical value was that made the most sense and you would lose something uh, in, in the process, that MMA is more than the sum of its parts. You don't want to limit the uh, innovation that is available to you with things like that. And I think that's really trenchant, correct analysis. So if we don't want to assign point values to individual techniques, why are we assigning point values to rounds? Clearly, it gets to a point where it, that is insufficient as a way of handing out the winner. I mean, let's, let's sort of posit something here. If you dominantly win two rounds and then the next three are kind of close, should you lose because you numerically lost those other three rounds? I mean, some of you might say yes. I would say no. If you dominate clearly two rounds, two rounds are kind of a wash and that you lose maybe the fifth you should still win. You should still win. People want to say the problem is the judges here. I found one judge. His name is Mark Collette. He was interesting because he scored the fight for Volkanovsky, and he also gave Jessica Andrade two rounds, which I don't really agree with. But they want to say, oh, if you get rid of him, that's, the, that's you know, problem solved. Well, and it's not so simple. First of all, the guy has judged hundreds of fights. He has competitive MMA experience himself. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt. He has judged five-round UFC main events before. And, you know, he's had a couple of scores that were wonky here or there, but in general, he seems to get it right. In judging, there are so many problems baked into what we do. The judges sit at different positions cage side. I've said this before. I'll repeat it again. If you have never sat cage side for a fight and then gone home and watched the fight on video, you cannot believe how different it looks. And there's no way to prove that to you until you take the Pepsi challenge, but it's real. So we really have no idea how Mark Collette saw the fight 
as he experienced it himself. We have no idea what biases he holds, consciously or unconsciously. Does he favor grapplers, does or does he not? Is he aware that he tends to not, I'm just gonna make something up here, value leg kicks, or does he not seem aware of it? All of that is baked in. When the round is over, they have to turn in their scorecards immediately and they cannot go back and change it. They don't get access to information on statistics and they either sometimes get video monitors, but they don't get instant replay in the way that you commonly understand it. So let me see if I get this straight. They experience it in a different way than we see it on television, right? Which may be different from what they hear and see, even in terms of other judges from their position on the cage. They're not sitting together. They're sitting separately. They have their own biases, whether they're conscious about them or not. They don't get a chance to review information about statistics. They have to turn in their card immediately and they get no chance to revise it rather than doing what other systems do, which is far from perfect. But looking back when the fight is over, sort of asking yourself, who would you rather be the Max Kellerman test? Who would you rather be when this fight is over? You would have rather have been Max Holloway. Now, as I mentioned, I love John Anik. We had him on the show. I think he is one of the best commentators in sports, and he makes the UFC better. Michael Bisping, I did not think this was his strongest night, but I even said I couldn't have enjoyed Poirier versus Hooker in the way that I did without him. He was, he was just excellent that night. They, to me, kind of sold Max a little bit more than they probably should have, and I'm sure that colored perceptions at home. But the reality is... If we don't want to assign point value to individual techniques, then we need a scoring criteria that matches the reasons why we don't. Because MMA is more than the sum of its parts. It has a creative latitude that is wide, and circumstances are very difficult to weigh against one another when you begin to put them in framed sections. You need to just think about the fight as a whole. It's like asking about a soup. Yes, the potatoes need to taste good. The broth needs to taste good. Whatever animal protein you put in there. But really, the soup is good by virtue of how it all comes together. And you can't really judge a soup by just having the broth, just eating the potato, just having the animal protein, or whatever else goes into it. It only counts as soup once it is done. I think we need to really reconsider how we do things here. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we need to add the half point system. Maybe we need to add automatic point deductions for knockdowns. Maybe that would fix the problem. Maybe it would. I don't know. I I have to think about it. Here's what I do know. You can blame it on the judges. You're going to end up right back here like Groundhog's Day looking at this and saying, how are we back here again? Because a bad system is not going to give you optimal outcomes hardly ever and when push comes to shove and you can ask a question who would you rather be at the end of a contest and you can clearly point to one guy and say "Eh, i think i'd rather be that guy maybe just maybe we're doing this the wrong way we have kept trying to do mma judging and scoring on a boxing model it might be time at this point i could be wrong But it might be time to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Here's what I know at a bare minimum. (laughs) You blame the judges. We're going to be right back here again. We're going to be right back here again. The, the, The problem is not the judges. Okay, individually here or there it might be. The problem is we're putting judges into a system 
that I don't think ever really is going to create enough of the right kinds of outcomes. Because a Volkanovsky scorecard is not wrong. But if it's not wrong and it feels like it should be, something is up. Formula One Racing on Sirius XM. Precision, performance, and speed. The F1 Series opens Sunday. It's the Austrian Grand Prix. Pre-race coverage starts at 8 a.m. Eastern. Then go live to the track at 9 Eastern for turn-by-turn racing action. Followed by a complete post-race recap. Hear it on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211. Or at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. Joining us now, all the way from Fight Island, it is broadcaster extraordinaire, the one and only Laura Sanko. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm great. How do I get that title, though? The great, whatever, with the greatest, most intelligent, most handsome broadcaster running on whatever it was, running on three hours sleep. Yeah. I, I could maybe give you some competition there. The sleep have- is hard to find here. Really hard. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You, you, in my case, you just bully your staff into saying false things and they can just write it all down and it sort of becomes true by fiat. Um, all right, so let's get, let's get to this. First of all, where, forgive me if I don't know the answer to this. When the fights were going on and we're focusing on the main card now, where were you on Saturday night in the, I think it's called the, uh, the, the what's it called? The forum? The Flash, Flash Forum. Flash Forum. Where were you yep. during that time? So I was, I was in the back, really uh, situated right between the arena and the uh, rooms that they constructed where fighters were warming up. So they would walk kind of right past my little social media station as they walked out. So I was right next to the ESPN uh, little studio area. The local media was kind of over a little ways. And then my little social media island was there as well in the back. Okay, so you basically, though, you were watching on TV. Could you hear the, the broadcasters? I could not hear the, well, oh yes, yes, I had, I had audio. So yes, I could hear the broadcasters didn't always, not always able to have them on. If they were filming something too close, I'd have to turn that down. So I didn't catch every moment of commentary, but yes, I was able to hear that. All right. So let's start with the co-main event. It's sort of out of order, but it's the one we've been focusing in on the show. First things first, how did you score it? And number two, uh, I guess, based on that response, what is your feeling about what should be different? about uh, not really the fight itself, I suppose, but scoring criteria. Well, small caveat. I mean, I don't always, I don't always score fights the way that a judge would. Um, well, that's a whole other topic, but uh, while I'm watching, cause I'm thinking about overarching themes to ask in an interview. So a lot of times I'm not sitting there, you know, noting who I thought won, but in this fight, I, I was kind of keeping track in my head and I had Max uh, winning one, two and three. And, I might've even, I'd have to go back and watch. There's part of my brain kind of wanted to even maybe give him four, but then uh, I, I did think Alex made a lot of really, really great adjustments in those last two rounds. So I totally understand um, why those two uh, could have been seen for him, but I've been, I've had way too much time on my hands today. And I have been thinking about this a lot um, because it's really, it's such a, it's such a different topic, right? Everybody wants to call this bad judging. It's not bad judging. Bad judging was the, you know, the James Krause, Trevin Giles round one score. That's like brutal, incompetent, or the uh, the Brendan Allen, Kyle Dawkins round three score. Incompetent. That's a different topic though. Like nothing, when you look at those scorecards, nothing sticks out as like that judge had no flipping clue what they were looking at, right? It's just, it's a different take. And so I think that that really points to not so much, there are bad judge, but it, judges, but that's like a different thing that we need to address. It's the, it's the system of scoring 
that gives us these unsatisfactory results, right? And I know that you've been discussing it a lot on um, some of your other shows, so I'm not going to reiterate everything that you've already, I'm sure, talked about. But I think it comes down to you cannot, a lot of people want to turn this into a point-based sport because they feel like that would be, it's more objective, it's more clarified that way. But here's the problem with that. It's like the people who compete in sport jujitsu or submission only tournaments. I'm someone, I only do submission only tournaments because I fucking, excuse me, I don't know if I can cuss on this radio show. Yeah, you're fine. It's okay. I hate, I hate sport jujitsu. I'm terrible at it. I don't like calculating my head. Oh, I just took her back. So that gives me three and like, oh, I won't give this. It's too, it's too point driven. And that is what MMA would turn into if you assign certain techniques a point value. It would be a mess. It, it would be an absolute mess. And I think it would be a regression from what we're all wanting because what we all want is who won the fight. It is a fight. Who dominated the other person, whether by striking or grappling, who imposed their will and beat up the other person or as close to it as we can get. And here's the problem. Like, I don't know that scoring it as a whole gets us there either because you open up such a Pandora's box for not having the, I don't know, not having the wisdom of the crowd. I know we're kind of talking about the, uh, the diswisdom or whatever word you talk about, the unwisdom, it's not a word, of the crowd here. But it, you really take that away when you just score it as a fight. But I feel like there's something that could be had in the middle. And part of that would be getting, getting away from the 10-point must. So, and I talked to, I was, I was talking to uh, Krauss about this today. Uh, Allowing a judge to give a round 9-9 if there's just nothing that happened. If two fighters stood there and kind of like, you know, fainted and moved around and didn't, we've seen so many rounds like that, right? Let that be a 9-9 round. If there's a round where two guys are just freaking going at it and you're sitting there going, man, how do you score that round? Give it a 10-10. And I understand at the end of the day, you're going to end up with potentially a lot of draws points based uh, at the end of three rounds or five rounds you add an overtime every other not every other most other major sports have an opportunity for man if this is a really close fight either in a really bad way or in a really great way we got to figure out who won you give them three more minutes and then it's a 10 then it's a 10 point must round someone's got to win at the end of that round so not only do you create urgency you could even make it half a round. You can make it a whole round or you can make it half a round, whatever you want to do. But you create urgency and it more, in my opinion, accurately reflects the reality of what happened. Because I think the problem is we're all sitting back going, man, Max really put, him, put it on him in rounds one and two. And then he kind of like really maybe marginally won three, four and five, but Max really looked great in one and two. And that's why our brains are like, well, Max won the fight. And that happens so often. So, so that's my band-aid solution. I don't know. Okay, so a couple of responses to that. I'm going to push back on the idea, if I may, a little bit. I don't mind yeah. a three-minute overtime for a 15-minute frame, but for a 25-minute frame, is that safe? I think it's safe. I mean, if, especially if it's – you're talking about three more minutes. And, and unless we can have a culture that where we're just comfortable with lots of fights going to draws, which I don't think that that's going to create any more – satisfaction i don't think three more minutes makes uh makes it unsafe in what way do you feel like what, what's making you say that so imagine we had a draw at the end of lawler versus condit like in good conscience i don't think you could send them out there for three more minutes 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying there. I, an argument could be made for the last two minutes of that round to begin with though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could, I mean, you could, you could, you so know, you could I, say maybe that, maybe that comes in conjunction with, um, I mean, I'm muddying the waters here, but the culture of when do we say, okay, we can't see an overtime. Maybe there's, maybe there's a, a call there too, but I mean, you make a fair point. I just, I've had, I've had all of, you know, five hours to think of <laughs> to make up a solution here. But I think we're identifying a couple of problems. I mean, you could, you could split the difference, right? For a three, for a yeah. three round fight, you could say, Hey, there's overtime. Or you could say in a five round fight, if we have a, um, you know, if we have a draw through four or something or whatever, then the fifth round will automatically be a tiebreaker, you know, like no yeah. matter what you could do it fifth that way too. And I do think that if you pepper in the open scoring with this, like Invicta is doing, it's fascinating by the way. Uh, I think Invicta has done two shows now. I, I did color for cause the first time they did it was for the Phoenix series, which is weird because you're dealing with a lot of one round fights. So why does it matter? Right. But it's, it was an interesting exercise in, in seeing how they did it, I guess. But this last show, uh, it was all normal length fights and they had it. And there's, there's some hiccups. There's some times where you're like, it, you worry about it influencing a fight negatively, but I don't really, it was more positive than negative is, is my long winded way of saying that. So I think if you, if you pepper in the open scoring, which is so easy to do, I mean, Kansas is doing it like that. Is it the cleanest? No, it's not because they're holding up iPads, but there's a gazillion solutions that could be implemented tomorrow that would make that clean and interesting. Um, and, uh, I think a good addition. And then you maybe, you know, implement my idea, brand it, Laura Sanko scoring system. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Sank, the Sanko system. So, I mean, there's Sanko. two things that there's, there's two things that to, to me stand out that I think we could probably find some consensus on. One is the Max Kellerman test, right? Who would you rather be when that fight is over? Yes. It's Max every time. It's Max every yeah. time because to me, and I had this, this conversation with uh, Russo, my producer, like to me, I just think you have to say out loud, it's not possible for me to look at the way Max dropped Volkanovsky in rounds one and two and say that the way in which Volkanovsky won, let's say he won rounds three and four, those are not equivalent things, and we cannot count no. them as equivalent things. And how you fix that, I don't know, but the system has to account for that because as long as those two things are equivalent, we are going to have problems. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I don't, but it worries me to assign a certain point value for knockdowns because then you have to find a grappling equivalent. And that is that's difficult to do. I mean, maybe it's a certain amount of top control time, but then it just, it becomes this, it becomes too much of a point sport. And that's the opposite of what, you know, just bleed us fans want, right? Like we want, we want to fight and we want to know who won a fight. Do you, right. I mean, are you more in favor of the, the pride system of just score it as a fight? Again, I, I'll say the same thing. Do I think that my solution to this problem is the one that should fix it? I mean, it's the one that intuitively makes the most sense to me. But until yeah. I, I said this before, Pride System was a different era. And I don't know if the Japanese were all above board with their Yakuza stuff. So I don't know. It's a different it's a it's an old era. So I don't know how much it applies to the modern era. And one I like, but it's not the same level as as UFC. So I don't know how much that applies. So I think no matter what situation we go with here, there has to be a lot of experimentation. We just have to see. But this is sort of my point. It's like for the same reasons you wouldn't want to assign a point value for a takedown, a back take, an uppercut, whatever. Uh, you shouldn't assign point values to rounds. 
Uh, again, for tiebreaker, maybe you could, you know, for the five rounders, if you want to do that, you could. But uh, to me, I just think you have to get credentialed judges, but you have to give them that latitude to interpret. Yeah, you. I, I agree with you there. And that, listen, credentialed judges are certainly at the root of this. But if we're looking at just this fight, I didn't see anybody where I thought, oh my gosh, I hope this person never judges another fight again. And I've had that thought about other, you know, other scenarios. I don't think this was a case of just grossly handled uh, judging, but I do think that that is an issue in other situations. So it's like, there's this multifaceted issue that if we could start, you know, making strides in all of those categories at the same time, I think we can make, um, we can make advances and it's such a unique position, right? Because as much as uh, the people at the B word promotion don't want to hear this, the UFC is very much the big boy in the room when it comes to this sport. So if the UFC is willing to uh, make changes, uh, experiment, it's such a young sport. Like we can, we can, I guess I have this feeling, but we can still do this. We can still make right. interesting changes and it's not going to just, the world's not going to blow up, right? Like just do it. Let's just try it. I don't know. Right. Maybe no, I think you're right. Uh, early an oversimplification I'm making, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 we all kind of feel like there's got to be a better way. What it is, I don't know, which is why I'm really just, again, do I think open scoring is the solution in Kansas? I don't, but I don't know that I'm right. So I feel like just experiment. Just let's, let's yeah. embrace a spirit of experimentation, and I think that will be a better solution than just keeping, keep on doing what we're doing. Do you, do you dislike this? Sorry, and I'm sorry to turn this into like no, it's okay. on your show. <laughs> It's like it's the okay. worst thing that a guest can do, but I'm doing it. Uh, what do you not like about the open scoring? Um, again, I'm waiting to see exactly what we can learn from it this time around. In general, yeah. I have found that as a magic bullet, it doesn't do what we think that it does. I think that, in, for example, you know, I watched that Canelo versus Austin Trout bout, which is boxing. It's a different sport. And again, for all the reasons, it's a little bit different. It kind of ruined that fight, to be quite candid with you. Um, yeah. And in, in kickboxing, I've not found it to be this kind of dominant factor in making better action. So um, could it be you know, beneficial in certain situations? That seems quite plausible. But as like a way to fix judging, I just feel like I just feel like more overhaul is needed. That's sort of where I'm at. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that because I definitely don't think it is not a magic bullet to fix judging. It doesn't change what they're putting down. It just makes us all aware of who's potentially going to get effed right. As it's happening. Um, I, I, I certainly think that one component has to be internal accountability. I don't think that judges should be held accountable in a public way because I, I am well aware and you're well aware of, we have a very um, temperamental fan base <laughs> and -uh. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it's, I don't think it would be fair to have people crucified for, you know, really messing something up. Um, but I do think that in, there should be internal incentives and disincentives in place. And I, I wish I knew more about how different states handle that. I've heard certain people say that, um, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but the, the, uh, this, the commissioner for, I want to say California, people have, have brought up to me and said, oh, he does a great job because... Andy Foster. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Conference calls where, you know, people are sort of called on the floor, you know, why did you do this, please? And I think that's what needs to make, like, if someone, if, if Solis were to come to me and somehow make a case for why, even though James Krause was on top for four minutes of a five-minute round, he scored the 
round for Trevin Giles, if, if he could somehow make a case that it, that made sense to him, I might go, okay, you know, and it wasn't necessarily that I thought James won the fight. I did, but you know, it was a very close fight and I didn't think he got robbed by any stretch of the imagination, but that one round was like mind blowing, mind blowing. And that stuff can't happen. It can't. Right. Uh, Andy Foster, by the way, uh, invited me to sit in on these Zoom calls where they watch fights together and then yeah. people talk about what they see. And as a media guy, he invited me just to sit in and watch. He is for sure the vanguard on all of this. He can't solve the problem by himself, but he's yeah. definitely part of the solution is what I would say. With the, with the limited time we have left, let me uh, start move on to some other fights. I really appreciate your insight here, if I can. The main event. To me, it's like, on the one hand, I think that the fans' expectations, they bought in a little bit too much to the hype, which I understand. You're paying 65 bucks. People talk a big, greasy game. You want to see it. I, I, I'm willing to spread the blame around a little bit. I'm willing to say, could Kumaro have done a little bit more? Probably. You know, did Jorge kind of take on too much of a challenge? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And, you know, the way that the system is structured, where, you know, you lose, you get half your pay, you lose the belt, all your leverage is gone. I kind of understand why guys fight the way they fight. Maybe, maybe there's, it's just this is what we were supposed to have been imagining all along. What do you think? Uh, I, I agree with you. I think that, um, I don't know that the fight played out too differently than I imagined. It, then my heart wanted it to be, you know, this incredible moment of some sort, of course, you know, I'm, I am at the end of the day, like just a major, major fan of the sport. But if I put my brain in gear, which is sometimes hard to do, um, this probably close to kind of what I thought would play out because you can't, God, you cannot face a specialist like Kamar Usman on short notice. And I understand, but he's like, nobody was training. It's different. It's different. And can I tell you something too, that I feel like fighters are not willing to talk enough about the sleep schedule here is so incredibly effed. And if uh, like in I what felt way? Like explain, tomorrow, explain that. We got, my call time to the arena was 1130 at night. That's when my day started. And, you know, the main card didn't start until 6 a.m. here. And I'm telling you, my last three interviews, I was, I was struggling to string a sentence together. So you put you know, fighters. And I was trying to stay on a schedule that would accommodate that. I've been trying very hard to stay awake and do all the right things and take my melatonin when I need to and all that. I can only imagine what these fighters are dealing with, with the quarantine, with the flight over here. And I thought Kamaru looked slightly more flat footed than we saw him against Colby. I think part of that was the last minute opponent change. I think part of it is being here. It is a really weird situation here. I'm not going to lie. And I've, you know, I've become someone who lives at night. I don't think I've seen the sun in a whole long time. It's, and if there are fighters that are trying to do the same thing I'm doing, it really messes you up, man. Um, but re regardless to the point, I think, I think that there were maybe moments where Kamaru maybe could have done more, but I don't, it's come. I don't blame him. I think he's an amazing fighter. I, I don't think you can say bad Kamaru because what you just pointed out, what is at stake here? Think about that this guy think about that that's that's your life that's providing for your family so if, we, if that's another thing that we all agree we want to fix create more incentives then to to do differently create finishing bonuses regardless of i know we've got fight of the night and all that type of stuff but there has to be a way to uh to incentivize action i'm not saying i can come up with the solution right here at the moment but i agree with you that the way the incentives are winning is above all above all and if we're in 
if we're in a mode where, yeah, but we want to see these crazy performances, well, then we got to figure out how to incentivize that because they don't always align. So what is uh, next for you? Are you doing the Wednesday card with Ige and Cater? I am. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. That's going to be a banger, man. I'm, I'm very, uh, I, I've been very, very impressed with, with Dan Ige, but holy cow, Calvin Cater brings it. That's going to be a banger. That's going to be a banger. And I think Elliot, Tim Elliot got moved to the co-main event. So he's, uh, he's my boy. He's back in Kansas City training at Glory. So I'm excited to see if he can uh, pull together a little bit more in this fight and go out there and kind of show what he is really capable of. All right, before you go, very quickly with the last question here, give me your sense of the two winners in the women's fights that opened the main card. Amanda Hebas, man, what a force she is. And uh, a hell of a fight between Rose and Jessica. What did you think of those two winners? I thought it was amazing. I think Amanda Hebas is the real deal. I don't want to see her just rocket to go fight uh, Zhang Weili or Valentina if she decides to stay and do some more work at flight. I don't want to see that too soon. But she's certainly... She, she's got the, she's got the recipe. I really feel like she could potentially be, um, a real star and a real threat to those two seemingly very dominant champions. If she, if she can take her time and continue to develop her skill set, you know, along the way, I think, I think she's the real deal for sure. Um, I, I feel for Paige Van Zandt. I really do. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, uh, and then, oh man, Rose and Rose and Andrade. I, I just, how can you not love Rose Namajunas or Jessica Andrade? But I thought that was a great fight. I applaud her for for what she did. And man, what, the thing that always strikes me about her when she fights is like you see her interviews and you see the clips of her on Countdown, where it's not that she's timid, it's not that she's weak minded, but you see, you know, you see chinks, right? When I'm trying to remember, there was like a point where Pat was adjusting her. Uh, headgear and she's like oh I'm sorry I just I should have maybe I went too hard in that round like you can tell she doubts herself a lot but what I love about that woman she goes out in the octagon when the lights come on when it is time to fight and she looks like a G she looks like an absolute G and she rises to the occasion and that's what matters in the sport so I'm excited to see her I think maybe she could take on uh, Zhang Weili next that'd be an incredible fight Last question. How many grams of melatonin do you take at night? I'm actually a bit of an expert in this. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. I'm a little afraid to admit this. So normally part of my oh, struggle tr- here. Trust is- me, there, whatever number you say is going to be a fraction of the amount of elephant steroids I take to go to sleep. So let me hear this. You want, you want the honest answer? This is yeah. Okay. So normally I take a lot of CBD also, but it is not allowed here in uh, dibby dabby as I'm calling it. Abu Dhabi. Right. Um, so I don't have my CBD, which already puts me behind the game. I take about 17 milligrams of milk. Oh, that's high. Yeah. That's and, high. Uh, two Benadryl <laughs> along with it. You know what? We're actually not dissimilar. So my cocktail last night was a meager 10 milligrams of melatonin, but I had two shots of Z-Quil and I had a Benadryl. Ah, How about that? There huh? Go. There you go. Hey, it's a little secret for you. You don't need to uh, buy Zequel. Look at, look at the main ingredient. It is Benadryl. Yeah, well, okay. Then I just had a bunch of Benadryl. I mean, I don't even know. Yep. So, well, uh, same all right. Well, we get the same thing going. All right. Well, Laura, uh, get some sleep whenever it is appropriate and possible. Look forward to seeing uh, Wednesday's fights and your work as well. Stay safe out there. I know you are. We appreciate your time and insight. Thank you so much. Yeah, you. Thank you. 
Luke Thomas Show coming right back. Live golf on the PGA Tour rolls on this week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Nate Lashley is the Rocket Mortgage Classic winner. Get ready for the action on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio with analysis from the likes of David Marr, Pat Perez, and Brad Faxon. Try to take the situation and put that out of your mind. Live coverage of the Rocket Mortgage Classic starts Thursday at noon Eastern. Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, Sirius 208 XM 92, or search PGA Tour Radio on your Sirius XM app. Luke Thomas show. We're talking about UFC 251. And we spent the majority of the show talking about the controversy coming out of the co-main event. Uh, but we should talk about the main event here for just a little bit as well, if we can. Namely, what it all means for Jorge Masvidal. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that there is no damage done to his stock. But I'm not really of the belief that like this was some incredibly awful thing for him you know ordinarily if i if you know and if you'd ask me on friday let's say he loses dominantly like you had read me the scorecards where he basically loses 50 45 on two of the scorecards and then 49 46 i'd have thought man that's really bad you know he kind of got dominated along the way and ugh, you know you know how kamaru is he just makes you look bad but I, I i'm not i don't really think that that is the issue here uh you know, for me, I'm going to say this again. I don't think it helped him. I don't think it really hurt him all that much. And the reason why is because for whatever you liked about Jorge, none of that changed. Like you like him as a dude who, you know, will knuckle up with anybody who's very talented. He wants to baptize people, street Jesus, like did any of that really undergo some damaging reconsideration not not that i can tell you know can you say he's the best welterweight on the planet i don't think so but even then you can say well yeah you know he fought on six days notice six days notice and again that we we both know the six days notice thing was somewhat oversold it is true that this was not an optimal uh training camp not even a little bit but uh, to be clear, six days is a little bit of an exaggeration, but okay, you know, as a talking point, it, it sells, right? And, and in fact, the reason why you kind of liked him is because he took the fight on six days' notice. So, like, I'm not really of the belief that this was some incredibly damaging thing to his stock that now all of a sudden he goes back to what he was before. Now, if he gets a second loss in a row, and if that one actually is bad, you know, we can have a different conversation. But where we are today, again, I don't think his stock... Uh, went up, but I don't think it dropped a whole lot either, to be honest with you. People who like Jorge, for the reasons that they like Jorge, Kamaru didn't really do anything to challenge that. In fact, if anything, it's like, you know, Kamaru's Kamaru's stock doesn't drop in the sense that he is still the champion. He's the guy to beat. He's still going to be in main events. He's probably still going to be on pay-per-view. You know, and he is still a very relevant figure as a consequence, but did it drop relative to the sort of outpouring of support that he had following the win over Colby Covington? I mean, even the people who wanted Colby to win couldn't go back and look at that fight and be like, yo man, like those guys threw down, you know, they really went after it. Like and credit goes to Colby too. You know what I mean? Um, so, so in that sense, uh, I think that as much as that fight helped Kamaru's stock, this one probably hurt it. 
And again, I think Laura Senko's theory about sleep is really interesting. In fact, uh, Cobb, didn't Kamaru mention sleep in like the post-fight show or something? I th- I'm t- someone told me he brought that up, that he had only had a few hours sleep like each of those nights. I mean, is that my imagination or do you recall that as well? Uh, you know what? I'm not sure. I was kind of glossing through quickly, so I'm not sure if he said that or not in the post-fight. I feel like he did. I could be completely wrong about that. Like I am about many things, but I, I feel like that's true. But okay, we got these quotes from Kamaru. So let's get to them. Or sorry, uh, from uh, Jorge. Let's get to them now because I'm trying to figure out what might be next. My feeling on this is that he's in a bit of a tough spot. I think the Diaz fight, if you're Jorge, makes the most sense. And the reason why is because what are your other options? Okay, you have to get some wins to get back there. Okay, so you got to fight somebody. All right, can't just wait. So you could fight Edwards. You could fight Colby. You could fight, uh, you know, Wonderboy again. Right? Or you could fight Diaz. The Diaz fight is probably the easiest of those to win. I'm not saying it is easy. I'm saying, relatively speaking, it's the easiest. And he has a name. Leon Edwards has absolutely no name. Colby's got more of a name than Leon, but... I wouldn't call him a household name by any stretch. He would certainly be the B side to Jorge's A side. And Wonder Boy is in a similar position um, and already beat him badly. Like that fight was not badly, but convincingly, I'll put it. Like that fight was not competitive. So he's in a tough spot here. He can take the Diaz fight if Diaz is down, and that would be great for him. Or he has to fight somebody who's really good. Leon Edwards, folks, I got bad news for you if you're a Jorge fan. I'm not saying Jorge shouldn't be favored or won't win. I'm just telling you, that dude ain't a pushover. Not a pushover. Wonderboy Thompson already beat him. Uh, Colby Covington, I don't know how that would go, you know, but I can't imagine that's an easy fight either. Let's get to some of this audio if we can. Actually, let's, uh, let's jump all the way to six. We'll start there and then go back to one just because I've, I've been talking about this. He does not seem to think that the Colby fight is anything he's interested in. Cut six. As we pull that up here. I hate coming up short. I'm not going to make no excuses. He was a better man tonight. There were some areas where I, I didn't give him enough credit, and there were some areas where I felt uh, with a better training camp, I, I could definitely surpass him. And um, I think I showed a lot of my wrestling on on 6-8 notice that uh, – I'm not too easy to take down or to hold down on the ground. Yeah, that's cut one. Can we try cut six? The uh, the, the fragile guy from, with the MAGA hat, definitely not him because he got finished by this guy with a full training camp. He had like 12 weeks and he got finished. So I think that guy's below me and this dude by a lot, you know. Six, eight notice and I was nowhere near getting hurt or getting put out. You know, the gas tank wasn't the best, but I wasn't, I wasn't going nowhere as far as damage goes. Everybody can see that. So definitely not that punk. Uh, Leon Edwards, I don't know if, if the numbers make sense or wherever it is that the numbers make sense and it gets me closer to the title. Okay. You know, it's kind of funny. I think Colby is actually a, a fight I would want to see more, but I can see why Jorge wouldn't necessarily feel that way. Now we can jump back to, uh, we can skip number one at this point. Um, and we can skip two, actually, if that's okay. This is, to me, the most interesting part. I think cut three is really, really worth worth hearing and, and talking about here. Let's play cut three. Please. I'm going to come back better than ever. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to disappear from the sport without this belt being wrapped around my waist 
one way or another. Uh, I wasn't my best performance tonight, but everybody could see I have a dog in me. It, that dog doesn't shut up or roll over for nobody. I was very tired at some spots, and I was able to dig down and, and bring it back to my feet. I'm not happy with my performance or nothing, but I, I'm telling everybody I'll be back and stronger. I got to tell you, you know what really stands out to me about that clip? Two things. One, he doesn't want to disappear. Good. You know, he wants to be active. The sport is better when Jorge Masvidal is active, just matter-of-factly, okay? Number one. Number two, you know what's kind of funny? I Maybe I misunderstood him. Maybe I didn't... Um, I guess I didn't fully appreciate some of Jorge's ambition. I know he had talked about wanting to get the title previously, and that would not be some kind of shock, right? I mean, most fighters do. But the Diaz brothers, you know, they call the title shot like fairy tales, and, you know, it's not like it matters not at all to them, but they don't put nearly the same kind of emphasis on getting the title as most other fighters. And you can kind of hear from Jorge, man, it really matters to him, and and I'm glad to hear that. Because as long as that is his North Star, you know, listen, he's going to chase money too. These are prize fighters. I'm never going to judge a fighter for doing that. You know, take care of your family, take care of yourself. You got a limited amount of time to do this. And if you want to do this in a way where you get more financial reward than you do sporting reward, uh, I understand. That doesn't mean I have to go along with it, but I, you know, I get it. But if you can find a way to do both, which is what it seems like for now, Masvidal wants to do I I like it I like it I like hearing that I think you're going to get the best out of him when he says stuff like that I that heartens me because I always worry about these big stars you know they get a big payday and then they kind of dip out for a bit but he wants to keep the train on the tracks and he's got a guiding you know goal that's keeping him there um likes the fact that he doesn't have to talk a ton of trash to promote a fight although he did for this one but let me hear cut four the competitor me, no. I want. I want to take everybody's head off. I want to take his head off even more now that he beat me. But I, uh, I just feel like, uh, especially me and him, now we don't have to promote the next fight like that. We don't. We don't have to talk about each other's religion or ethnicities or nothing like that. You know, he said some things that I, uh, weren't necessary, and I'm sure I said some things that, that probably weren't the best. I just think about the future generations. You don't have to promote fights like that or sell pay per views. I heard that this card did great, anyways. You know. But I, I feel it doesn't have to be promoted like that, especially for the younger guys coming up. They don't need to think that you always need to talk shit to sell a pay-per-view, you know, or disrespect the man's religion or anything like that. So we'll, we'll, we'll do it again, you know. Well, I'm glad to, to hear that, although candidly, I, I'm a little bit less convinced that that is the kind of thing that will, the fight game will move away from because, you know, yeah, maybe if you get to a certain level, you don't have to do that anymore. But... Yeah, it took Jorge 16 years to get to a level like that. You know, and even then for this fight, they kind of had to be ugly to one another. That's just, you know, the thing about trash talk, you have to understand about the fight game. I've been watching it long enough at this point. And what I've realized is that kind of stuff works across any sport, but there are a lot of mechanisms in play in other sports that put a limit on it. You know, sometimes the teams don't want to be associated with players who talk like that. Sometimes it's seen as in those inside those sporting cultures, it's seen as uh, you know irreverent to the point of being um, bad. But in MMA, it's like it is it is the fuel in the engine, man. Not every time, not all the time, but enough where it's just so centrally critical. 
And, you know, Dana White does make a good point about it, which is, you know, these guys are going to punch each other in the face. You know, worrying about whether they're being nice to each other is just not a thing that they have a ton of time for. It doesn't mean you can call people, like, you know, horrendous things. Uh, but in general, a little bit of trash talk goes a long way. And then last, but uh, certainly not least, Jorge, you know, uh, the, the dude gets it. Cut five. No, no excuses. I want to take out my frustrations. I want to elevate my cardio to a new level. I just, I know I could do more, you know. I know a lot of people make the excuse for me six day notice, but it's no excuse. Once you sign that dotted line, well, you shouldn't have signed that dotted line if you weren't in the best shape ever to compete for a world title. So I just feel like that. I just feel that I should have been in overall better shape, you know. So it's just a matter of time before I get back in there. Um, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear, you know, do I think that that was a 100% Jorge? No, of course not. You know, and he is admitting, yeah, my cardio wasn't the best. But he even said that Kamaru fought a beautiful fight. He said that he was the better man. He won fair and square. Dude, Masvidal gets it, man. He gets it. He understands it. You know, he understands the game. He's seen the best come. He's seen the worst go and everything else in between. He understands his place. He understands how to act like a sportsman. He understands how to act like a savage at times, too. He gets it. So I, I like hearing this kind of stuff from him, and I appreciate that he took a fight on six days' notice. You know, it had to suck that it didn't go his way, and it wasn't exactly the most entertaining thing on earth. But if that's, to me, the whole key. If you're not feeling good enough to give you, to, that you believe you can't win, don't sign on the dotted line because once you do, you are agreeing that you should be evaluated and judged accordingly. You signed on the dotted line because you thought you had a chance to win, and you didn't. Doesn't mean we can't have a degree of nuance, but I don't want to hear like, oh, well, I didn't feel great. Well, then why did you sign to fight? You know, you signed to fight because you thought you had a chance to win, or were you just playing us the whole time, right? Masvidal understands that. Like, yeah, okay, maybe it was 100%, but I, I took it. I, I accepted the risk, and it didn't go my way, and now I have to accept that the risk didn't play out in my favor. That's a sportsman. That's a veteran. That's a talented dude. And I would love, I, I hope we get to see him again in 2020. Nothing would make me happier. Kamaru too, by the way. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas show live and in its entirety weekdays from three to 6 PM. Eastern on Sirius XM fight nation channel 156. on Twitter. Follow at L Thomas news and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.